Ascot, Maidenhead, Bracknell, Wokingham, Henley, Reading. The voice River Radio of the Thames Valley. You're listening to The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of River Radio's Resident Sports Show. Alongside Ben Green, I'm Will Taylor. So strap in and join us for yet another episode of Extra Time. This week we taught the contrasting success of Reading's men and women's side, a patchy streak of form for Wickham and some pretty horrific reading for Manchester United fans, as well as, of course, our unpopular opinion. Stay tuned for all that and much more to come on this week's Extra Time. That's right, good evening. It's seven o'clock on a Wednesday night. As I say every week, there is no place I would rather be and I hope you feel the same joining us for yet another instalment of River Radio Show Extra Time. I'm of course, as I mentioned, joined by the wonderful Ben Green as we get ready to get stuck in to yet another episode. Ben, obviously we'll get stuck into to Wickham further down the show, but not, not great reading for you at the minute, is it? No, not, not really well. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, uh, I woke up this morning a very angry Wickham fan. Mm. However... Is that any different well, to any other morning? Well, well no, but <laughs> getting the opportunity to sit in front of you for an hour is... I'm now moderately happy, yeah. so yeah, delighted to be here. It's nice to know I haven't had that much of an effect, just, just moderately happy. <laughs> that's, that's lovely, mate. Uh, of course, obviously, we'll, we'll get stuck into all the local football and a little bit about United um, later, as I mentioned. A bit of what I, I would sort of describe a shock result last night as well, though, wasn't there? Newcastle dismantling Everton. Yeah, I mean, especially going to goal down. I, I think getting the equaliser straight away helped. Um, but how good was it to see St James's Park rocking, by yeah. the way? When yeah. that Trippier goal went in, I mean... You know, I'm obviously not a Newcastle fan, but there's a part of me that wants those fans to to have some fun for a few years. Yeah, I think I think it's the least they deserve, isn't it? I mean, I, I, that Trippier goal was just incredible, wasn't it? And a, a lot, a lot of it. I mean, we were we were just talking off air, obviously. Like I said, we'll get into United specifically, but we touched on it last week about Veghorst for Burnley and what a signing he was. I mean, the way he's he's brought players into into the goal that they scored against United was, was sensational, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely brilliant. I mean, he, he takes the ball down. I'm not sure if it was two or three players he beats, but with one touch, he beats at least two players, mm. threads in Gerald Rodriguez, brilliant goal. And then he almost scored a wonder goal about <laughs> 10 minutes later. And if that had gone in, I mean, the roof would have gone flying off turf more <laughs> I, I watched it back and I knew the result was 1-1 and I was still hoping it was going in yeah. do you know what I mean it would have <laughs> been a great moment but. It, would, it would have been excellent now I mean it's, it's one of them isn't it for, for Burnley where they're, they're, it's, it's points are hard to come by so result, results like that are going to mean the world I hate to sort of coin what I, what I call Peter Crouch's phrase but he's got great feet for a big lad <laughs> he does have great feet for a big lad um, and also with Burnley we have to remember that they, they have got a few games in hand mm. so you know yes they're bottom of the table but I, I think they've got a, a good chance at the moment 
I think you'd always rather have points on the board than gaming hand. But yeah. but I mean the teams around them aren't exactly set in the world tonight, are they? Exactly, so exactly. you just you just never know. Um, let's on with the show and to kick us off, we head to Berkshire where Reading women continued their r- winning run this Sunday with a victory at Everton. Natasha Dowie equalised in the second half after the Toffees had taken a fifth minute lead before Tia Primer secured a late winner. It means the Royals are top of the WSL form table, and I'm of course delighted to say I'm joined by our Reading correspondent Jacob Hawley. He's on the line to tell us a little bit more Jacob before I get started please tell me you rate Valt Vecors as high as we do oh yeah no that, that <laughs> looked class on the weekend that was that was brilliant touch and <laughs> looks like a good signing already Why, who needs Chris Wood <laughs> great feat for a big lad isn't he? really <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jacob obviously thank you for coming on and joining us it's great to have you on uh, Everton have had a tough time in the WSL lately uh, but nonetheless well and in the Premier League actually, it's worth mentioning <laughs> isn't it but nonetheless uh, it was another valuable victory for Kelly Chamberside wasn't it yeah another big big win moves, moves us up to fifth uh, in the WSL so Things are looking good. Uh, on a great run of form in the moment. Four wins in a row in all competitions. Like you mentioned, most recently Everton coming from behind, conceding early on. But again, like you said, Natasha Dowian and Tia Prima late on to win the game. So they're on a great run of form. Like you mentioned, the top form seat, uh, t- side in the, the WSL at the moment. So uh, Kelly Chambers will be delighted with the way that things are going. And if they can keep this up, then they can make a real charge. Absolutely, well. absolutely right. I mean, I was, I was, I was speaking to, to I've spoken to many people about Reading women's form, and they, they just seem to be a little bit, you sort of taken aback by it. Certainly, in terms of the of the recent form, as you mentioned, obviously that victory takes the Royals up to fifth in the WSL, three points off the top three with the game in hand. And we we spoke about mixing it with that those elite beforehand. When you look at the sort of sides those club are that this club are rubbing shoulders with United, Tottenham, they're above Manchester City, who of course ran the WSL for for a very long time. How how, how impressive is that? It's it's not something to be underestimated. It's very very impressive. You have to admit. I mean, it's especially with the way that things are going on the other side with the men's team. It's, it's amazing to just have something to, to you know uplift. I think Poundovic touched on it this week, saying how good it is to have the women's side performing as well as they are, and it's and it's nice to have that because it gives the fans something something to cheer about and. Um, and it just doesn't. They're not seeming to let up at the moment. They're they're looking like a real force in the WSL. They're not making way for anyone. They've beaten Chelsea. You know, they've beaten Leicester. They've capitalised on those games, those must wins against Birmingham City, and you know the struggling Everton. So, you know, there's no reason to to think that they can't carry on this form and and sort of mix it with the big ones, as you say. Jacob, I'm, I'm just looking at the next sort of the upcoming fixtures. There's some massive games for Reading women. Uh, Arsenal, Tottenham, Manchester United, all teams above them at the moment. Um, they're in the next four games. So do you think those those games are going to be pivotal for, for the end of, end of the season? Uh, I think we'll certainly, there'll certainly be a big test um, to see what they're really made of. We've seen this great run of form, uh, picking up wins all through February, January, uh, stretching back to December. So now it'll be a real test to take on, you know, the big teams, the elite teams with the big budgets, like you mentioned, the likes of Arsenal and Manchester United. Now, I remember the opening game of the WS season against Manchester United. Uh, I think it was a 2-0 loss in the end. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what we can do back at home um, and, you know, put up a fight, hopefully, and continue on that good form. And 
who knows where we could finish. It's a, it's a bit crazy to say, isn't it, that we're, we're generally looking at a situation, obviously, with those games coming up. But like I mentioned, you're rubbing shoulders with these teams. We could, and perhaps maybe not in the way you would like, even though it's great to see the women's team doing so well. We could actually see Reading in the Champions League. How, how, how crazy is that? Is that something you, you can quite wrap your head around? It is a crazy concept, isn't it? I mean, especially considering, like you mentioned, how poorly the other side are doing. To, to think that next season Reading could be playing European football would be just amazing, wouldn't it? Um, so, you know, like we keep saying, if, if we could keep up that form, it'd be a dream, and especially given our budget compared to the other bigger teams that we're coming up against and, and beating week in, week out, then, then hopefully we could be dreaming of European nights. <laughs> that certainly would be the idea. I mean, despite all the positives, there has been some difficult news around the club, has it there? As we heard yesterday, that uh, Brooke Chaplin has been diagnosed with a bone tumour and will be out of action indefinitely. News like that can be such a blow generally, can't it? Not just to the player, but to the team as a whole. I think definitely it's, um, it's going to be playing on their minds. It's a very difficult thing to hear about your teammate, very close-knit bunch. So um, it, it'll be hard for them to concentrate on their football no doubt with that with that in mind but at the same in the same sense it might also inspire them and and encourage them to to go on and, and work even harder and you know produce something special in such a difficult season for for, for Brooke absolutely uh we certainly wish her the best here from river radio um that's the of, of course the whole team and finally for this section the england's women's squad was announced yesterday no reading players in it as it stands uh, is that a surprise to you and, and how far away do you think the club are from having players you know sort of stepping up to that kind of level i don't think it's a surprise necessarily it's not something that we would have maybe expected um but it's not something that we're too far away from either i don't think um with the form that some of the Reading women are playing, putting in recently, you know there will be eyes on them. There's no reason to think that they can't step up and, and show what they can do on the international stage. You know we see a lot in men's football. You know, Gareth Southgate will take a chance on those those players from arguably lower lower Premier League sides. Even took in uh, Calvin Phillips when he was playing for Leeds United in the Championship. So there's no reason to think that they can't have a look at the Reading players and. and I think they'd certainly be capable of performing on the international international stage, sorry, and it's just a matter of time, I imagine. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, we certainly hope that Kelly Chamberside can continue their fine form. Up next for them are Brighton, who they knocked out of the FA Cup at the end of last month. For the men's side, meanwhile, it's been 11 days since they last took the field. A bit of a welcome break, I would imagine, after their recent form. But they will return tonight against Bristol City. Kick-off scheduled for 7.45pm, obviously just about 35 minutes time. Jacob, the teams are out for that one now. Is there any surprises there for you? Uh, well, I think Carl Hine is coming in goal. Uh, to replace Luke Southwood, obviously uh, some eyebrows will be raised at that because Luke Southwood, yes, he's conceded a number of goals if you look on paper in recent weeks, but at the same time, a lot of people would argue that he's been you know, keeping the scoreline down in many ways. He's, he's been kind of a standout performer in some respects, but um, we'll see what Karl Heinz is capable of. There's no reason to write him off yet, so it's a big chance for him to, to show what he's worth and why he deserves the number one spot. Um, in terms of elsewhere, Tom McIntyre back on the bench. Um, Tom Ince making his debut as well uh, on loan from Stoke. So that's good to see. But um, obviously with now Pushkas and Carol gone, slightly short in the uh, the striker department at Reading. I mean, I mean, it's been a barren run of form, hasn't it? Five defeats out of the last six. Um, no wins in six. Aside from the game tonight, I'm, I'm looking at some of the, the fixtures coming up. You know, Coventry at home, Peterborough away. 
Preston away, Birmingham at home. You know, out of those games, which ones are you earmarking as, as possible? If we can say even a victory, maybe a draw? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, every single game you, you hope that they can turn it around. I mean, tonight we've had some memorable nights at, at Bristol City before. I remember a couple of years ago I was in the away end when we were 2-0 down and turned it around 3-2 in the last minute. But that was that was different times and uh, it'll be a much harder place to go this evening. So I, I don't know whether we'll come away with any points tonight, but... You know, the home games certainly stand out. The ones against uh, Birmingham and that you mentioned and also Coventry, they're games that you, you really feel you do need to, to capitalise on the home form. And, and we, we've sold the Club 1871 out for the weekend uh, against Coventry. So hopefully that will have a positive effect on the players and spur them on to get their first win in some time. I don't think you're the only one that remembers that Bristol City game, Jacob. As Ben's just mouthed the word limbs to me in the studio while you were talking. <laughs> so I don't know, I, I, I do remember that as well. So hopefully more of the same tonight. You touched on it just a moment ago, obviously. The club lost Andy Carroll in the transfer window. How big a blow is that? Especially he was start, start, sort of starting to look like a an, what would be an integral player for this relegation scrap. Yeah, he certainly was starting to look like a, a big part of this side, a vital player. Um, I don't think he had a real chance to show what he was capable of. Obviously, we saw those offside goals that everyone likes to joke about, but they don't count at the end of the day. Um, he was he was a good player. He was a good squad player, and he could have been more, certainly. I don't think uh, it's the end of the world that he's left. I think we were expecting him to go in January as a short-term deal. But at the same time, having lost him and Pushkas, uh, is, is, he's a slightly short in the track department, as I say. I mean, um, he's he's a good player. They're both good players. Pushkas returned, I believe, 20 goals in 91 games, I think. Uh, so sort of, you know, just around one in five. So it, it's they're both losses. They'll both be losses, particularly considering they haven't been replaced. Um, but they'll have to turn to the likes of Maite and uh, Jao now to, to hopefully fill the gaps. They certainly were. I mean, we were talking just before about the performance of the women's team. Is there any indication of how relegation of the men's side might affect things in terms of sort of, sort of funding for, for the women's side um, going forward? I mean, we can't say for sure, but uh, certainly the, the men's side being relegated to League One would be very difficult financially. And I imagine it would mean there was less money coming in to support the, the women's game. Uh, it's certainly something that I've seen mentioned a few times on Twitter with people raising concerns for the women's team, given the, the men's poor form. It'd be a real shame, really, considering their their brilliant season and how well they're doing to be tainted by a relegation from the men's side that may possibly affect them financially in the future. So hopefully, obviously, from, for many reasons, Reading can avoid the drop. Um, but that one certainly is a, is a big factor as well. So come on then, Jacob. Big game tonight. What's, what's the score going to be? Oh, I wasn't prepared for that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy enough, Jacob. It's just a score. <laughs> well, we certainly, we love to see it. So, and given, you know, given how the, the game started against Huddersfield the other week, I'll say 3-2 to Reading again. Okay. I'll, I'll hope that we can repeat those antics from a couple of years ago. And Are you going to go 2-0 down again as well, though? Oh, chances are, I mean, aren't they? <laughs> it's whether or not you get the three. Well, we certainly wish you guys the best of luck tonight. Thank you so much for joining us, mate. Cheers, Will.
That's Jacob Hawley there, our Reading correspondent. Well, we do certainly wish them the best, as I mentioned, in what is a huge game for them. It's time to swap Berkshire for Bucks now, though, as we turn our attention to Wickham Wanderers. That's right, it's been a bit of a torrid time for the Chairboys recently. They suffered two losses and a draw from their last three games. They've slipped from the top of the league, from the top of the league to sixth in, in the table in the process, and a nil-nil draw with Shrewsbury summed up a pretty difficult run. Ben, obviously, you, you've got to be our go-to guy for this. I mean, I, I think you were saying you described it as a desperate performance does, does that sum it up yeah I, I, <laughs> I did describe that online I did receive actually some backlash uh, from other Wickham fans <laughs> however I, do you know what Will the stats do not tell the story whatsoever yeah. um, I think Wickham had 68% possession 26 attempts at goal to Shrewsbury's two you, th- you look at that and you think well utter domination unlucky not to get the win um, but if you actually break that down now, 15 attempts of the 26 were off target. That's so many. It's awful, isn't it? And were, they, the, were they sort of pie-in-the-sky efforts from range? Or well, was it like- well, this is the problem as well. Um, not only did we have maybe two or three good chances throughout the whole game, but half the reason we had so many chances is because the build-up was so rush, rushed. You know, we, we were lumping the ball into the box. Um, there was no build-up play, no, no runners off the ball. Um, the, the wingers were quite slow in their passing and their crossing and so ultimately yeah we had a lot of these half chances and sort of shots that go uh, 50 yards wide and everyone's like oh it's another shot or goal but honestly I, I, I really was disappointed with the performance um, I think I think Gareth said it was a big improvement however you know we, we've gone from playing MK Dons who are a team above us to, to Shrewsbury Town who are 18th who haven't won in six. Um, surely you're going to have a few more chances than the MK Dons game, aren't you? You know, you're bound to at home, especially when Shrewsbury turn up looking for a point. I mean, I mean, they were terrible. They were one of the worst sides I've seen at Adams Park this year. And we played into their strengths, going too long, too often against two centre-halves that are very good in the air. Obviously, Aaron Pierre being one of those who was at Wickham for a good few years, he knows the game inside out. So, yeah, yeah incredibly disappointing. It really is. I mean, this this run, like like I mentioned, it's been a torrid, torrid run, hasn't it? I mean, what, what do you put it down to? What what does it boil down? Because you were, like I mentioned, you were top of the league. It was, mm. it was. I mean, Rotherham looked like they've run away with it in this time that you've that you've sort of flickered a little bit. But what, what do you actually put this run down to? I mean, you've played a couple of hard teams, granted, but a result like that's never going to be that's never promotion sort of results, is it? I think what's happened is everything good we did against Oxford, we've stopped doing. Mm. You know, we had a perfect balance uh, of, of long ball and link-up play. Mm. And I've, what I've noticed in the last three games is if we've gone too direct. And, and a lot of the time, the, the, effective, the effectiveness of a long ball isn't just to hoof it from the halfway line. It's to, to break the team down slightly first and sort of, you know, get 20, 30 yards into the half, then play the long ball. What we're doing too often is, you know, the centre-halves are getting the ball and they're lumping it long to Sam Vokes. And he's, and he's too disconnected from the rest of the team. I, th- I think what needs to happen is we need to get the right balance again. At the moment, we've lost that. Uh, Josh Scowan being injured has probably played a role. You, know, you don't yeah. notice that he's so important until he's gone. Um, so I think once he comes back in, hopefully we'll see a bit more control in midfield. But yeah, I put it down to you know too direct too often. I, I do think losing those players that, that or, or I admittedly don't set the world alight by scoring mm-hmm. sort of 30 yard screamers or, or playing inch, pa- inch, inch perfect balls through, through defence can honestly, honestly play such a big role in it so that, I, I think that's, that's a fair point it's those sort of players that break up play that can be so key to it which, which Josh Gowan certainly seems like I mean do, do you think that sort of run in the new year when obviously the other teams are sort of flickering that great comeback against Sunderland did it sort of create 
because I remember you saying like you, you were at, I think it was the Oxford game and you just thought this was it and it's, it's an understandable position to be in I don't think anyone yeah. anyone berates you for that do you think it sort of created a slightly false position oh, it's, it's a really difficult one I, I think Wickham should be in the top two right now I really do if you look at some of the points we've dropped against teams that we were leading uh, at the bottom of the table we could be second I'm mm. not saying we could be we top of the league but we definitely could be second and even after these three games, we're still only a couple of points away. That's what makes it more frustrating, is that the opportunities have been there and we've not quite taken them. You know, we've done so well against Sunderland to get the point, so well against Oxford. You give yourself a great, you know, great target, right? Now we've just got to go beat Morecambe and we can extend the lead and we, and we didn't do it. And I don't want the players to look back at the end of the season with the regrets of we had a few chances to take that spot on and we didn't. Yeah, and I think I think you look at those top sort of two or three teams in your division that you that you were sort of linking up with more than you are now, and and it sort of seemed like there was only three or four teams that were really going to push for it. But you've got teams now who who should have been in the promotion race earlier in the season who weren't. Like Ipswich have turned into yeah. on great form. I think Sheffield Wednesday Sheffield have won Wednesday. four from yeah. four, no goals conceded. Some incredible, incredible form from them. Is that a worry as well that these big teams have now got a bit of momentum behind them? You're slipping down. Could it be sort of a, a like for like change is that does that is that something that sort of crossed your mind I mean we were 17 points ahead of Ipswich at one point <sighs> so yeah. many points you can't let them get close I, I don't understand how quite that's happened but you know even you've got Plymouth as well Portsmouth mm. are knocking on the door and then there's some teams in mid-table that are going to be hard to beat Accrington mm. they're not a bad side no. you know Burton away will be a difficult game so there are no easy games no there's literally it's such a cliche isn't <laughs> it but there literally <laughs> is no easy games in League One that's been proven by the couple of the recent results so I'm concerned by those teams but you know it is still in our hands let's not forget that mm. it is still in our hands we're not relying on anyone else to get in the playoffs we've been in the playoffs all season if we fall out of the playoffs then I'll be concerned but right now you've got to kind of be level-headed about it and think right we are still in touch and distance yeah does that does, does automatic promotion remain on the cards then do you think realistically I mean it's it's, it's a hard one isn't it because like I said I think Rotherham have it sewn up I mm. think and like, I, I don't know why I swear they win the league, win league one every year which obviously they can't but I feel like they do which, <laughs> which is so bizarre I just feel like you know Paul Warren's just an expert at winning league one yeah. and fault was in the championship but it, it's still so tight that realistically a run of three or four wins now puts you right back in the mix is it on the cards or do you think you've you've just gone one sort of step too far away from it I think I think the main problem is like you said Rotherham have probably taken one of those spaces and we're going to have got so many games in hand yeah. and that's that's what's been the problem for me all this time yeah you have Wigan that, yeah. have got so many games in hand and it, we'll only know once they play those games if we've got a chance mm. if they're say three or four points ahead yeah we've got a shout I, I don't see us bridging a gap of 12 mm. I don't see us putting together a run of six wins in a row I just don't think we can do that and I think that's going to be What's going to be required? If, if Wigan win, say, two of those games in hand, we're going to be a fair distance off. So, no, I mean, you can't write off yet. It's not mathematically mm. impossible, but I've said all season it's probably unlikely. And I'm looking at the moment to be, to be correct. Yeah, I do have a bit of a theory that Gareth Ainsworth's doing this deliberately to go into <laughs> the playoffs as underdogs so you can win it again because you weren't meant to go up that year yeah. either, were you? So, so it, it, that, could, that could easily be the case. I mean, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Do you think maybe an, another sort of point I, th- I thought of that, that obviously you spoke to me m- sort of hours before the transfer window closed and said, we haven't signed anyone, I'm so angry for you to then sign last minute. But I know it was, it was only one, one that was actually brought in. Do you think that actually sort of, I think might, maybe two, there was someone on loan as well do you think that sort of plays a big part in in that there wasn't you didn't strengthen and you didn't add to the ranks to to really mount sort of the promotion push mm. that you wanted to I think I think last night proved it 
that we needed some more quality in wide areas. We play of wing backs and, and you know, obviously JJ is a good cross of a ball, but he plays in that centre half position now. Jordan Nobita is a good cross of a ball, but he, he can go missing. It's the right hand side that's the big area that I thought we were going to strengthen. Yeah. And I think at the moment we've got this problem where we want to play a certain system but we needed to strengthen in certain areas to suit that system. We, we didn't quite do that. So, yeah, I remember telling you on transfer deadline day that we needed three or four. We've basically got one because the lad from Newcastle probably isn't going to play. He seems like a development player, so it's a one addition. You know, you compare that to some of the other teams, I don't think it's enough. No, Lincoln away on Saturday, obviously, sort of last year's playoff finalists as well. As I know, we've said the cliche: there's no easy league games, no, no easy games in League One. I should say, is is that sort of encapsulated? Because they're not doing particularly well, but you don't look forward to going there, do you? No, it's, it's a horrible away day. I, <laughs> so I went there once on a Wednesday night, and it was nil nil. <laughs> I left school early, everything, and it, you know, nil-nil. So I'm we don't not, condone that on River Radio. Oh, no, no, not at all, no. But um, yeah, it's going to be hard. It's windy up there. They've obviously got the sirens uh, when they have the corners. and They're a nasty team. They're physical like us. and They're not a bad side. There's still some players there that were there last year. You know, Scully, Regan Paul, they're, they're good players. So no, this is the problem. You go into places like Lincoln and you have to get a result. You'd rather be getting a result at home on Tuesday to take the pressure off. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's what it's one of those things, isn't it? On the missing school for games, I actually did that once with Torquay. This is genuinely true story. We had Barnet away, and I told my school I had a dentist appointment. The game was live on BT Sport. I stood behind the camera, thinking they, they won't get me on it. Thirtieth minute, it swivels round, and I'm just my face, just my face on BT Sport. Oh, so brilliant. that that really uh, that got me in a lot of trouble. So don't do it, kids, because it doesn't pay off. You always get. Did you out. win? No, uh, yeah, we did. Yeah, oh, we did. It, it was yeah. worth it. Then. It was all, yeah, all worth it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just had very, uh, very a lot of bags under my eyes the next morning at school. <laughs> that was for sure. Um, well, we certainly wish Wickham the very best of luck going into the rest of the season and hopefully they can sort of remount that promotion charge we're going to talk a little bit about Maidenhead United next across the Thames Valley one more time across the Thames Valley this this is River Radio well now for some pop music try this show on River Radio this is Extra Time that's right, you're listening to Extra Time here on River Radio with myself, Will Taylor and Ben Green. Moving up to the next of our constituents clubs now, back in Berkshire, over to Maidenhead, where fortunes have turned much better since the turn of the new year. Another late goal this weekend saw the Pies save themselves against a mid-table managers, managerless Eastleigh as they stake their claim for survival with another solid result. Another spirited result, as I said, with an 87th minute equaliser from Reece Smith as he grabbed the home side a point after leading 1-0 at half-time through Charlie Adams. Two second-half goals from the wayside weren't enough for them courtesy of Danny Whitehall and Ryan Hill within seven minutes and the Pines stole a point from the Hampshire club obviously up next for them is Weldstone a huge six pointer down the bottom but again throwing away another lead to, to come back and get it for them Ben do you think a, a win against Weldstone could that all but confirm safety for them yeah I mean there's a gap of 10 points at the moment isn't there between yeah. the team below them uh, and you look at the form of the, the teams below them so Weymouth haven't won in six Kinslin have won one in six mm. and I'll mention Dover they're, they're down <laughs> but again they've won one in six so they're their only win of the season that as well is it? Oh, yeah, blimey yeah, yeah. well there you go <laughs> so yeah I, I think I think a win does you can't really see a 13 point gap being bridged especially when you know when have Weymouth all season put together a run of three or four wins so yeah yeah I think a win all, com- you know, obviously it's not confirmed 100%, but I think they'd be pretty confident. 
Yeah, they should be. I mean, obviously, Ben Strevens was sacked as the Eastleigh manager earlier this season, um, a few weeks ago, sorry. Obviously, a very shocking shocking sort of thing to happen, depending on sort of where they were. They weren't doing great in the table, but he's been there for a very long time, a player there, of course. How much of a shock was it for, for them to lose him? And, and sort of, do you think that boosted Maidenhead last night? Yeah, I mean, it, I could almost relate it to Sunderland. Yeah, where I was shocked course. that they sacked Lee Johnson. And you've seen since, they've actually struggled, even mm. though they've had the bounce of Jermaine Defoe and mm. possible Roy Keane. So it does happen. Um, could you maybe point that down to the reason Maidenhead won? Partly, but you, know, you also got to give Maidenhead some credit. And let's not, let's not yes, just pretend yeah. that it was all on Eastleigh and you know, ex-Wickham, by the way, Ben Strevens. <laughs> <laughs> Incredibly in, unprolific striker. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, Ben Strevens one of those ones where I've, I've heard a bit about him, actually, from, from being a League One fan. You do mm. hear about well, some... He, he had that run of the FA Cup, didn't they, where they got to yeah. the third or fourth round, I think. So. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, yeah, it might have played, played a factor, but, you know... Maidenhead have improved in recent weeks and, and I think they thoroughly deserve the victory. I mean, we've spoken about it most weeks when we chat about them, haven't we? That sort of spirit to come back and sort of after, after throwing away a lead, does that sum up exactly why they're, they're doing as well as they are at the moment, do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think there's a real, real feeling about the group. And, and we spoke last week as well about how, you know, they're really fighting against some of the top teams in the division. And if you can get one result against, you know, a Chesterfield or a Stockport, um, that can really boost your season. You think, yeah. OK, we are good enough and we can go and beat the likes of Eastleigh or the teams below us, 100%. Um, the funny thing is, though, I did say a second ago that a win all but confirmed safety. But if they do lose... Are, are they looking back down the table? <laughs> well, they could be, couldn't they? I mean, it's it's an interesting. One. I mean, these are the teams they struggle against. The, the Wellstones, you know, <laughs> they beat Wrexham and they'll beat they'll beat your Chesterfields and, and all the teams around it, around that sort of the top seven. Like, I'm not looking forward to playing Maidenhead as a tall geek fan later this season oh, because oh. well, actually, we we might qualify as one of the lower table teams this season. <laughs> actually, what I think about it. Um, but but I, you know, they're never a team you look forward to playing to up the up, up the sort of um, top end of the of the national league. I don't see why. I, th- I think they're going to struggle. I do. Think they're going to struggle in terms of the in terms of the physicality of the game Wellstone are one of those sides um, you know if you'll pardon the pun with the Raider that are very physical and you know if, if you do want some they will give it to you sort of thing but they are they, you know, they're, they're a team that no one likes to play they're, they're not particularly prolific they don't mm. concede an awful lot of goals they're, they have sort of two, they have two or three former talking players who played for us last season who I was very surprised to, to see us let go Josh Amir and Matt Buse Matt Buse missing the penalty at, in the Hartlepool playoff final which mm. was obviously heartbreaking and, and he seems to be doing Okay, they're they're a strange team in that they will lose five nil one week and then whack someone five nil the next week. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a very sort of contrasting form, but on the whole, they're, they're quite a solid team. If if there's if teams below them start picking up results, they they have to look over their shoulder because it's never as easy as as it can seem. Sort of staying away from that relegation zone. I was going to ask you, Will. It is interesting though looking at the table because there isn't a lot of points between mid table and, and the bottom half. No. You know, Maidenhead could easily string a few wins together and end up, you know, 14th, 15th. So is that actually realistic or are we just getting a bit ahead of ourselves? Or, <laughs> it's it's hard, know. isn't it? When any team puts a few good performances together, you always look up rather than down, don't you? But I, I think they'll be quite happy where they are. I genuinely, again, I mean, if this, we, we might as well call this the football cliche show because they're taking it a game <laughs> at a time and they really are. Yeah. That's, and that's how you have to take it. Um, I, th- I think it's always hard when, like I mentioned last week, they've, they've, re- they've re- rebuilt the squad and that's fine for, for a few sort of short term results but that's, that squad still has to gel properly to consistently get results I, I don't think they'll win an incredible amount of games between now and the end mm. of the season but they'll win enough for that 10 point gap to probably be maintained I'd say so yeah I, I think they'll be 
be okay. I really do. Um, as, as I mentioned anyway, they continue to stake their claim for safety this season as it looks more and more likely every week that goes by. I mentioned obviously they face Wellstone away on Saturday and we certainly wish them the best of luck there. It's time to widen our gaze beyond the Thames Valley now though as we chat Manchester United in Hot Topic. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. Welcome back. You're listening to Extra Time live on River Radio. Remember, we want to hear from you and hear exactly what you have to say. You can get in touch by tweeting us at River Radio Live or send us an email to studio at river.radio. That's at River Radio Live for Twitter or on email studio at river.radio. Now, with the FA Cup having returned this weekend, there were plenty of talking points once again. One of the most notable, of course, was Kidderminster Harriers, who came very close to knocking West Ham out of the competition, only to be denied in the final minute of extra time. But whilst the Hammers were able to escape a giant killing the same couldn't be said for Manchester United who on Friday night were dispatched by Middlesbrough on penalties the result draws more unwanted scrutiny towards the club who haven't won a trophy since the Europa League in May 2017 earlier this week Ed chatted to Tom Pickering United fan and creator of YouTube channel Very Biased Opinions who started by reflecting on another disappointing night at Old Trafford it was just indicative of our season completely unable to score players losing passing wavelengths and just being unable to break down a resolute defence enough to score goals even when the goal was wide open. Well, Ralph Ragnitz said that the side continues to improve in his eyes in spite of that result. Do you feel that that tallies with what you're seeing on the pitch? Absolutely not. We still look completely aimless. It doesn't look like there's any idea of how to break down teams. And more than anything else, our players that should be high on confidence, our Bruno Fernandes's, our Jaden Sancho's, our Cristiano Ronaldo's, look completely bereft of ideas. And I would have thought Ragnick's first job was to kind of lift them off this incredible losing run and make them motivated and kind of get the best out of them. It's tough watching as a fan because it's players not playing close to what you know their level is. Well, Friday's loss means that it will be at least six years before United can end their wait for a domestic trophy. What are the feelings among supporters about that? Because there was a time that 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 would have been unthinkable. I think there's an awful level of acceptance that's set in. You know, you're looking at Man City, who are quite possibly the best side of all time. They're really challenging that Barcelona mantra. You've got this Liverpool side that are built so perfectly and they're like a blowtorch through butter. You've got Chelsea who've just won the the Champions League and have this incredible young squad. And you're looking at your team just going, I don't know what the answer is. Like it feels deficient. And then you look at all the players and you go, but they're all awesome. There's such a good team here. There's such a fantastic squad. But, you know, it it feels like the Premier League is years away. And I, I feel we've slipped into that Liverpool that, you know, Fergie knocked off their perch where it's just no coherent forward thinking you know and just a series of substitute teachers that none of the players respect well it's interesting that you say that and use that phrase substitute teacher because looking at the scenario that ralph ranyuk walked into do you feel that any effect he could have in his time in charge is kind of undermined by virtue of the fact it's very clear that he is unlikely to be at the helm for much more than a few months i think it definitely is and i think you've got a situation where the players don't seem to truly respect him. And if they do, they're having a weird way of showing it on the pitch. When you look at how this has panned out then and you reflect back on the departure of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, do you still think that was the right decision made at the right time? 
I think the performances were dire. Um, the Watford one sticks out in my mind as a club of this level with this level of players. Somebody has to be held accountable. And he wasn't the right man for the job. He did a fantastic job. He galvanized the club. He got us back to a level we needed to be at. But tactically, I think he was missing something. I think his experience in the job probably counted against him. And I think when they got rid of him, they had to do it. It's really a question of this summer, if they follow through, if they get a Ten Hag, if they get a Pochettino, if they get one of these managers that plays a very specific brand of football, that plays high tempo, that plays good passing style, that plays incisive counterattacking football, then they've done the job right. But so much, so much now hinges on this next manager that comes in. Well, the news did break recently that Maurizio Pochettino is likely to be available in the summer. Is he someone that that you would like to see come in and, and take the reins? I think a lot of fans of Man United over the years have not appreciated Pochettino because his first side didn't win anything. I don't necessarily blame that on him. I also think that Man United are used to an attacking style. We're used to a certain joie de vivre, a sort of like, you know, full on, we are going to try and win this game. And Ragnik's trying to emulate that a little bit by putting like four strikers on at the end of matches. But Pochettino plays such a beautiful style of football. He demands so much from his players. They play at such a high level. And at PSG, he's had his problems, but he's already proven he can do it in England. He's proving that he can at least put together a team of all-stars and they're going to listen to what he does. And I would love to have a manager like that, that win, lose, or draw, United look like they're trying to score. They look like they're trying to play good football. They look like they're trying to reach the Man City level. We're not playing two central defensive midfielders and trying to hold off teams from scoring against us, which is very much the feeling I get when I watch Man United now. Whoever does come in next, what do you think awaits them? Is this a a big rebuild or do you feel that with the right person in charge, the team might not actually be too far away from really challenging for honours again? To me, Man United are maybe a player away from being able to at least starting 11, challenge your Man City's, challenge your Chelsea's, challenge, challenge your Liverpool's. It feels like the manager who comes in really has to stamp an ethos on the team and demand something from the players. Because you have this great young talents like Alanga coming up. You've got your Rashfords already. You've got what is widely accepted as world-class talent like Bruno Fernandes. Cristiano Ronaldo, the most decorated goal scorer of all time. And it just needs someone to stamp their authority on this group. The team is there. You have a team. It's just how you put it on the pitch and what you're able to get out of them. Yeah, you do get the impression, don't you, that it it's as though playing for Manchester United weighs heavier on the shoulders than it perhaps did under, say, Sir Alex Ferguson. Finally, then, at the time of recording, Manchester United are due to play Burnley. Can I trouble you for a uh, score prediction for that? Because obviously Burnley are right down at the bottom and, and fighting for their lives. This has got like banana peel written all over it. I've watched Burnley's last couple of games defensively. They've gotten right back to where they used to be. Nick Pope seems to be back on form. And this is a side that sets out to frustrate. And Man United have their biggest problem against sides that set out to frustrate. And I'm really worried. If you want a prediction from me now, I really hope 1-0 to United because I can't see us scoring two. Well, it certainly is a game that could go either way, couldn't it? Irrespective of what the result is, Tom, thanks so much for your thoughts. Cheers for having me, Ed. There we go. That's that's Tom Bickering there having a chat with Ed a little bit about uh, United's recent form. Ben, I mean, it's just horrendous, isn't it? I think everyone thought it was the right decision to get rid of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for Ralph Ragnick. It's looked absolutely terrible, hasn't it? Okay, here's a question. 
Have well, you, ha, has there ever been a manager come in and had less of a bounce with the players <laughs> than Ralph Ragnar? There's not been any any sort of change. The only one it? that comes to mind is Sam Allardyce for West Brom last season. Was it last season or the season before? Last when he when yeah when he came in last season yeah and he came in and it was just yeah. as flat as it was before. It's just, but it's, yeah, it's, it's I can't beggars belief. I don't understand. I why. can't think of any because it's just horrendous, isn't it? I mean the. The thing is, the, the style of football hasn't changed. We were, they were promised this fast, high-pressing. Jürgen Klopp was only learnt off him. I don't know what Jürgen Klopp did in between learning off Ralph <laughs> Rangnick and going to Dortmund. He must have had some incredible teacher in between because he can't have taught him a lot. I mean, it's, it's beyond belief for them, isn't it? Because they are honestly now in a situation where they're out of all the competitions they could possibly be. Well, no, sorry, they're still in the Champions League, but they might as well be out of that. I'll, be, I'll eat my hat if they win the Champions yeah. League this year. They're not looking great for the top fours, if you completely honest, especially with the games in hand that Arsenal and, and Tottenham have got what, where do they go from here is he, do they really want him as the director for the next two years it's, it's, it's really a tricky one isn't it I, I think the problem is, is is the squad you now see it's the squad it's a toxic squad it's an ageing squad yeah, I don't, I, what I don't think it will help though is that Solskjaer was mates with them yeah. and tried to be mates with them you're never going to yeah. win favours when you come in as a knuckle down manager when that, yeah. the, the manager had that sort of relationship with the squad are you yeah I, that, could, that could be attributed to it but I, I just think there's so much wrong with that team and, and for the amount of money they've spent mm. for the individual quality they have there's no identity with Man United mm. you, I, you couldn't sit there and tell me how they play no. You could tell me how Chelsea play, yeah. even Arsenal and Spurs, yeah, how they play. They have a DNA, don't they? But, yeah. but Man United, I mean, I saw them live a few weeks ago in the FA Cup against Villa, which I have to say they were incredibly lucky to get by. It's never on offside. With, oh, like, I don't know what they even give it for. They looked for about yeah. eight different things, didn't and, they? And again, they were terrible in that game. They scored the goal. It was a, you know, it was a poor goal. And, and that was it. They, they didn't do anything the whole game. There was no urgency. The crowd were flat. And I'm... You know, as an outsider looking at it, I just don't see how it changes with this current group of players. No matter what manager comes in, I'm not really sure it's the manager at no. this point. I think it really is those those players. Well, I actually saw something on Twitter earlier today. A Liverpool, fan, um, I think it was Ed Diddy Haman who played for Liverpool, mm. saying how sad it was to see United struggling, and the Liverpool fans in the comments yeah. weren't best pleased. And the point they were making is that United laughed at them for so long mm. to not win in a title. And I actually just sat there thinking about it. I think it's been what nine years? It might even be ten years. Nine years. It was 2013 they won the last one, wasn't it? Nine years, and it's probably going to be more. Could could we be looking at that cycle of thirty years before they win a Premier League title? Because I can't see because it's it's a high rooted issue. This this isn't a quick fix. What's going on at Man United? Well, I mean, you'd say no, but I'm sure after ten years, Liverpool fans felt the same thing. Yeah. But oh, we'll win it in five years' time, mm. ten years' time. So yeah, it is possible. I'd be but they're so-, so far off it, aren't they? Off those top yeah. three, they are so so far off it. Yeah, and you'd you'd say that there's there's teams coming through that are, are better equipped. I'd say Spurs and Arsenal at the moment are equipped to have better seasons next year. Mm. Not, not necessarily challenge for the title, but they're actually, they're actually ahead of Man United at this point. Mm. Uh, who knows where Newcastle are going to be in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. you know, if Frank gets the right, Everton. There could be, could be some really tricky teams to get past. So I, you know, I, there's no guarantee. And, and just because Man United have been a successful team doesn't mean they deserve success or they're guaranteed success. And I think that's been a problem. There's a mentality that they eventually it's going to happen for them. Mm. But to get to that point, you actually need to invest properly and yeah. have a DNA. Well, and, and did, and invest properly is, is key, isn't it? Do you, do you think there's, a, there's something, there's an argument to be had in terms of, so you look at Chelsea and they, they get berated for it, but get the best, man, the best manager mm. at the best time and the best players. It's a very simple strategy, but it works for them. And it's won them two Champions Leagues, quite a few Premier Leagues since Abramovich come in. That seems to be their system. You obviously got... You know, City, you just are going to get the best players and the best manager in a slightly different way and are obsessed with a certain way of playing. 
that that's those for the last sort of 10 15 years that seems to be the dna of those clubs do you think united's approach with i'm not saying they got lucky with sir alex ferguson but, but the fact they just they sort of stumbled on him and give him a chance he had a terrible first couple of years very close to being sacked i think they played nottingham forest in the fa cup and if they'd lost that he was all but sacked luckily they won do you think because that's how their success came about there was no real blueprint for it and it went on for so long that they're perhaps now not completely sure how to replicate it yeah, yeah, that could be a, a you know a valid point. You've also got there's there's certain members of the board that moved on as well mm. when Stralix left, and ultimately that whole generation isn't there anymore. Do, do you think that's the problem? Though? Do you think they're still clinging on to this So Alex thing, like, like a yeah. bit like sort of? I think I think Liverpool were guilty of it towards the end of the nineties. And right. well, it's good you made that point. I was just about to say that Liverpool's big problem wasn't it that mm. it, it's funny how it's similar is that they had some very high profile pundits that were ex Liverpool players at these incredible standards. <laughs> yeah. And Liverpool, Alan Hansen yeah, springs to my mind straight um, away. Yeah, yeah Lawrence and Soonest, they, yeah. They, they can never reach those standards. And it's funny how we're seeing it again. Roy mm. Keane, Gary Neville, Ferdinand, some, as Ferdinand well, yeah. sometimes Paul Scholes. Mm. These guys were winners. And and all they've done for the last five, ten years is basically berate the current squad about well, how they're other, losers. Other, other than Ferdinand, of course, is yeah. sensational <laughs> rant against have to be put the put the contract on the table, yeah. let him write whatever number he wants, yeah, other yeah. than that. But you are right, they, they have berated them and it, it's weird how football goes in cycles, isn't it? But I just can't see this cycle ending for, for Manchester United. And the closest they would came, they came to it, other than Mourinho's sort of short stint of success, was clinging on to the Fergie days and mm. that's got to be where the problem lies. Yeah, I, I think it's going to take time. Ultimately, I still think you need a whole new squad. Maybe not, you know, every single player has to go. That's not what I'm talking about. But a seriously, a big, big turnover of players needs to happen because, I mean, there's so many players in that squad that aren't the right fit. They haven't been the right fit for the last four or five years. They're ageing. They're not going to get any better. Um, you look at the likes of Ronaldo, very short-term mm. decision. Obviously, yeah. they were going to do it. But, you know, I, but I think they only went for him to stop City again. Oh, exactly. But, you know, another example, OK? Paul Pogba. He's not been the right fit there for a good few years. No. And he's still there. Yeah. He's still there. Uh, David, Threw his gloves off last night exactly, in frustration. Yeah, David De Gea was, is on massive money. And you could have made a good fortune off him. Sent to you had Dean Henderson that could have come. People, and yeah. you could have reinvested the squad. But, but no, he's still there. Mm. I, I think there's so many things wrong with that team. And uh, like you said... Uh, I don't see United challenging for for honours in the next two seasons. Mm. No, I mean, I mean as well. I have a twofold question for you. Then, do you think do you see Real Madrid staying in his position, going on to be that director? Do you even see him staying at the end of the season? And providing that's not the case, which I don't think it will mm. be, who is the who is the man to fix Man United? Because I've, I've it's, I know Ed Woodward for a fact definitely doesn't know, but but who who do you think? Oh, that's an incredibly hard question. <laughs> uh, I think Ragnik will stay in his role. I, okay. I think that there probably was an agreement that whatever happens, you are going into this role. Just get I thought that was another big payout. Isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> what's, what's the point in letting him go? Um, in terms of managers who are on the market, who are available, now the obvious one would be Pochettino. Mm. Again, that, that, that appointment would come with risk because he's not really a proven winner. Who else is there at the moment that's that's free? All all the world class managers that you can think of are taken right yeah. now, and I think it needs a world class manager. It needs someone like a Klopp, like a Guardiola, Zidane maybe. Zidane maybe. Uh, how much of I mean? Okay, you might disagree, but how much of world class manager is him? We don't know. Yeah, we generally yeah. don't. He's an unknown quantity. So this is the problem. They've had opportunities to get Conte in to get Poch in before, even to try and tempt Guardiola in a few years ago, and they didn't do it. 
No. And now all those managers... I mean, he, he was the natural successor to Sir Alex. Exactly. And, and they, they, they didn't take it. And they had this weird thing of, oh, right, we're going to get to Oli because he'd done well for a few few games and you know, the, the big names haven't worked it's, before. It's how like a League One club's managed, exactly. isn't it? Do you exactly. know what I mean? It reminds like how Fleetwood did it a few weeks ago when they sat their manager. Generally, yeah. their manager won one in three games, I think, and he was given the job. And it's yeah. just, it's, be- it's it's crazy. I mean, the, the one name I would chuck in there, whether or not you, you'll, you'll agree, is this big name thing isn't working. The interim thing isn't working. Graham Potter's the man. I, I knew you were going to say. He it. is. I, I knew you were going to say. It. He's got. A, he's got a way of playing. He's. He's. He couldn't have done any more at the clubs he's been at. Pretty much. I mean, the Ostersons thing is like a fairy tale football story. Why not just give it to him? Because he's not going to damage his reputation by going. He'll still be a quality Premier League manager. Surely that's the fit, isn't it? Oh, providing that Deadwood goes as well, isn't it? Doesn't that just sum up where Man United are? Though? <laughs> yeah. That yeah. we're talking about Graham Potter. Who? Let's let's have a right. He's a good manager, but he's not won any sort of major honours in the UK. No. We're talking about him as the potential fix for Manchester United. And that's how far they've fallen. They've gone from the likes of Lou Van Gaal. Uh, look how well David Moyes has done now as well, by the way. If they'd given him more time, who knows what would have happened. <laughs> you know, uh, Jose, Jared Bowen would be up yeah. for Man United. <laughs> but that's just... Uh, I guess at this point, they can't do much else wrong. So you'd, you'd say, OK, let's take a punt on him. But it's, it would be another appointment, which is uncertain. It would be. You know, so... I can't give you an answer as to whether that be the correct decision. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. Well, I think it's a pretty convincing opinion that United are struggling under Ralph Ragnick. Why don't we swap it for an unpopular one? That's up next. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. You're listening to The Football Show on River Radio and we're now down to our final feature of this evening. You'll be very sad to know as we begin our studio debate section on popular opinion. This will see one of us submit a footballing thought that goes against the grain for many people before attempting to justify it whilst under fire from the other two panellists, or one panellist in this case. So far this year, we've argued over whether Steven Gerrard has already surpassed the achievements of his predecessor Dean Smith at Villa and who of Guardiola and Arsene Wenger did a better job in the Premier League, as well as, of course... Discussing an opinion I look a bit stupid for now in terms of Frank <laughs> Lampard being superior to Roy Hodgson. This one's not about managers this week, Ben. I want to delve into the FA Cup. That's where I've looked for my recent sort of thing. And it's there's been arguments over the last few years. I'm sure you'll agree and you'll understand that the FA Cup has lost its magic. It's City winning it every year and, and it's very, very... Ch- I mean, I know Leicester won it last year, but it was pretty much held by City and, and those top teams. Arsenal obviously had a great run as well. But the competition had overall lost its magic. Here's one for you, okay? God. I think the FA Cup is and remains the most prestigious and historical competition you can win as an English football team. Well, uh, how do we break that down? Okay, <laughs> so, I mean, historical, yes, obviously, it's the oldest competition. It, you can't really argue that point. But does that not? Okay. That, well, that's, well, no, I'll let you go. I'll but, let you go. <laughs> but for the sake of a, a good debate, prestigious... At this stage, is it? You know, I think the value of the FA Cup has been slowly decreased for so long mm. that it's got to the point now where it's almost an afterthought for a lot of these clubs. Now, yes, OK, a non-league team, it changes their life. Uh, even a League One side, you know, if, if Wickham got a, a massive tie, it could give them a massive financial boost. But but you'd, have, you'd have rather played Sissy in the FA Cup than the League Cup, wouldn't you? 
Yeah, but that's because the League Cup is even more irrelevant, okay? But, but, but we're not talking about teams that could potentially no. win it, right? So for the teams that can potentially win it, no, I don't think it is the most prestigious because, one, the money that comes with it is nowhere near the same as even a top four spot in the Premier League. Even a, even a Premier League spot is nowhere near, you know? Um, and also, I think the fact that we've seen a lot more of teams, especially in, in the top division, playing a second string side in the early rounds, you know, does that... Take Maybe takes away from it. Yeah. Does that neglect the, the integrity of the competition? You know, there's there's no replays anymore. It only well, gives. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it, I know what you mean about about the lineup. So much so that the Papa John's trophy about to force people into play. <laughs> play them, else you're fined. We'll yeah, find you if you yeah, don't play yeah, yeah. your first team. Which which is it's, look, I get what you're saying in terms of of the prestige of it, but the reason I say it is because I think when you break it down, that it's not so realistically. If you look at if you look at Man United's run. Or like the first two games, you know, the first two games they played in the competition. Aston Villa, they should beat them. Middlesbrough, they should beat them. They're already out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You look at West Ham, arguably should be out, really. If you yeah. like, especially how they play. Chelsea, extremely lucky to still be where they are. Bournemouth have lost to Boreham Wood, right? Mm-hmm. In no other competition in the world are there so many sort of giant killings and the risk of going out is so much higher than it should be. If, the, if Bournemouth and Boreham Wood played 100 more times, Bournemouth would win all 100 of them. I'm convinced of it. But Even if Middlesbrough and Man United played, they would win 100 more times. The possibility of giant killing and, and the worry behind that means that if you can overcome these smaller teams, which is not, the, not as easy as it should be, it's, it is prestigious and it is worth winning. And not only that, it creates some incredible, incredible cup ties, memorable cup ties as well. I, I just think in the, mo- in the modern era, if you look at a manager's legacy, for example, he's not going to be known for how many FA Cups he won these Arsene days. Arsene Wenger? He's a, he's a has-been manager, isn't he? That, that's a previous generation. <laughs> oh, we've had this, we've had this yeah. discussion, but yeah. That, that is from a previous generation. You know, I'm talking about managers oh, now. Look, we just spoke about Solskjaer. Mm-hmm. Had he won the FA Cup, he'd probably still be in the job now. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's the most prestigious competition in the world. That that just or in the country that just means it was a very handy competition for him to win to progress to a bigger competition, which is the Premier League. Well, I suppose you, Van Hal got sacked after winning it. Didn't yeah, it? exactly. So, yeah, I know what you're saying. This is the problem. I, I just think it's been, and I I actually don't think that's it's a bad thing. By the way, I actually I love the FA Cup. Supporting a lower league team, I love it. I think it's a great competition. I think there actually should be more emphasis put on it. But I I think at this stage it's been neglected so much. Uh, to the point where I just don't see it as the premier competition in this country. And I don't, I don't think top teams see it anymore. I don't think young fans see it anymore. And that's sad. But a young do, do you not think? Because I, 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 see, I see a first round, I see sort of 12-year-old Boreham Wood fans playing but that's, that's a Boreham Wood fan. You know, a, man's, a, a young Man United fan. Yeah. They don't care about the FA Cup. If they win it, okay, it's nice. They get to watch their team at Wembley and what have you, but... Look, they, look that's at, not what they're dreaming of anymore. No, I know. But look at Liverpool fans, for example, right? Their first trip to Wembley in the Carabao Cup, which I know I, I appreciate is a different position. I, I know a lot of Liverpool fans who are, who are so, so excited, probably more excited than they'd be if they got to a Champions League final, mm. purely because they're back playing at Wembley for, for domestic silverware. I think you, you look at all these things. So you look at you look around the, at the edge of Arsenal's ground. You look at the, the walk of glory for Liverpool before the This Is Anfield time. The FA Cup is on there as an incredibly, incredibly prestigious position. Um, competition to win I, I think obviously there's there's no denying it didn't have it doesn't have the gravitas of where Sir Tom Finney was playing in it for Preston mm-hmm. North End and there, there has been a slight monopoly over it 
But like I said, the, the potential banana skins and overcoming them, the, 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 no, the knowing that there is no other competition in the world where a, a fifth-tier team could beat a top-tier team, do you not think that just adds to the whole, the whole element of it and just makes it almost worth playing in for these clubs? Because it, it completely encapsulates everything we love about English football. You look at this Super League thing that everyone seems to have forgotten about sort of eight months, eight, nine months ago. That everyone disagreed with that because it wasn't in the heritage and prestige of English football. The F, if, we, if we're going by that argument of how much we hated the Super League, that makes the FA Cup the premier competition because it's all about it. You, you know, you're unseeded. It can, it's completely random, and anyone can be anyone. Yeah, I, I just think you're. I think you're slightly miss miss maybe getting slightly confused between a big teams perspective and a smaller team yeah well as a small as a fan of a small team that's yeah you know as a non-league fan you know but I I just think if we're talking about winners of the FA Cup and nine times out of ten a winner of the FA Cup will be a Premier League side Mm. and I you look at Leicester fans last year though yeah it was great ecstatic yeah but was that anywhere near what they were like when they won the Premier League but that was slightly different wasn't it okay but that's very convenient for you to say isn't it no but it was slightly different it was because the Premier League thing that that could that's even more unlikely than a a non-league team winning the FA Cup yeah I I just think if you honestly if you look and I I honestly think for Leicester fans both would be up there almost in in tandem yeah it's very easy for you to say as a a person that isn't a Leicester fan yeah very I, I just think if you're looking at a team a top half team now they aren't looking at the FA Cup as the most important trophy to win. It's a handy trophy to win. I think that's what it's become now. It's a it's a handy trophy really? to have. That low? That's, it's no, that no, low I, in I It's not as bad as the, the League Cup. Yeah, but that's all but Papa John's If stuff. you're a West Ham, if you're a Leicester, a Spurs... See, West Ham would love to win the FA Cup. Yeah, an Arsenal. It's a good trophy to win, but it's not, in their eyes, it's not the most important I, I, prestigious I tell you, trophy. I'll tell you for a fact now, West, if you ask any West Ham fan, they'd rather win the FA Cup than finish in the top four. Okay, but they'd rather win the Premier League than win the FA Cup. That's the that's what I'm getting Would at. Would they? Yes. Trust me, I have a few West Ham fans. But but you know what? Right, okay, I'm, so th- I mean, maybe I should have specified domestically, okay? Like, there's no comparing with winning the Premier League. That's being mm-hmm. the best team in England. So, okay, I, I accept your argument other than the Premier League, okay? <laughs> that's more than fair. Oh, yeah, no, I agree. Um, but, but here's my question, okay? This this whole two-legged thing going down to one leg mm. now I'm, I'm you've probably got the same opinion as me that as an as a lower league fan it's crippling does does that actually add did the two-leg thing actually add to the competition and, and sort know, of the, the, the prestigiousness of do it? you know what it both did and it didn't because I think I think if if Kidderminster go but I know they lost anyway but if Kidderminster go to West Ham away obviously it's great for them the money's great but they probably get pumped 3-0 yeah. Whereas they took them to extra time and actually made a game of it. Chelsea, if they go back to home park, they probably get mm-hmm. Chelsea probably lever and four or five. And the same happened when they played Liverpool. I remember they they drew at home park and then got leathered four 0 at Anfield. It's so I, I I think that the replay element of it is absolutely integral to the competition. However, it's made for more entertaining games and I think and I think ultimately as a football fan as a neutral, that's what you want to see, isn't it? You want to see games of football that are more entertaining. Okay, so so how do we make if we disagree that it is the most important trophy in this country? Okay. How do we make it the most important trophy? How but how how does English? Thing? Well, I think there's there there are ways you could do it. Go on, you know, in terms certain times of the day, you have it on. Having it on terrestrial television is huge. Yeah, that you know. should be well. Most some of it is, isn't yeah, it? but not have, all having of it, that yeah. is huge. But is it is it a case of maybe a bigger financial incentive for the winner, so that, that you know because maybe. at the moment, like I said, winning getting in the top four. 
is a bigger priority, partly because the money that comes with Champions League It's really interesting that, that, as, that, that you say it, though. Like, uh, I, I don't think the finances play any role in the importance of the FA Cup. I think you could offer the winner a quid. It does for, <laughs> it does for the lower teams, um, but for the Premier League clubs, you could, all, you could offer all of them a quid to participate mm-hmm. in it, and they, they'd probably do it. Um, maybe, maybe other than the top teams, which I guess sort of proves your point. But my, my worry with it is, is that I, I, I don't think financially it's such an aspect. I think, like you said, bringing it back to the people... I think that's yeah. what it's all about, and I think, I think, I think you, if you did a survey for, for most fans, I know obviously a lot you want European football and that sort of thing. If you actually ask them how much they value the FA Cup, like Liverpool fans, obviously they've they 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 always back Jurgen Klopp, so it's always easy for them to say. No, no, we, we trust what he's. If he wants to throw the FA Cup, we'll throw the FA Cup. Yeah. They'd they'd love to win it, and they yeah. know they would, and and all all the big teams would. So I think I think in terms of just valuing what the fans want, which is which is a completely different argument in that the Premier League fans just don't do the Premier League clubs just don't do yeah. that. They don't know how to do it, and and I think that's completely where it comes from. I, I think it's. It's, it's owners getting greedy and seeing oh European nights where we're going to get knocked out in the in the sort of group stage of it rather than actually thinking okay here we go we're gonna you know we we can ha- we can have our name on a piece of silverware that will last forever uh, and I guess partly it is partly financial because of course you is. know in the seventies and eighties when there wasn't the same amount of money in in the the first division and European football that is probably partly why the FA Cup was was seen as a level playing field where. Because of the financial incentive and, and the accolades that come with Champions League football, the players you can get, the bigger attendances and all that stuff, mm. I think that's probably played a re, played a role in why the top five, six, seven clubs don't value it the same. Even though they'd love an FA Cup on their resume, unfortunately, as a business, football is a business, and I, and I think that that plays the biggest factor. Well, I have to say, mate, I'm quite happy to concede that I think you probably are right this time. Around. Is that a first defeat? Uh, no, well, let's, I don't. We, we call it a defeat, more a, more a sort of mutual agreement. Let's go with that. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Ben. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Will. I've been, it's, I've been Will Taylor. This has been extra time.